Thanks, Brittany. It's good to be here. Got a full house this morning in our summer, uh, whatever we call it, our little intermission time here at the ministry house for a few weeks. But it's good to be here. We got a little more AC this week than last week, so, so that's good. Um, we, Brendan and I actually had a really powerful week this week. We had the privilege of going to Nashville, Tennessee, where we got to take part in this conference. It's, it was a, a conference um, called Turning Point Faith for pastors from all over the country um, to come together and just hear from some of, really, actually, I would say the top most influential Christian leaders in our nation right now, in the church, in the political sphere, in all sorts of areas of society. Um, and there, there were 1,100 people there, pastors and church people from all different types of churches across the nation. Um, 1,100 people, and there were, four, there were five of us from Kansas, and only uh, four of us were our group. So me and Brendan and our friend Rich and Kyle from Lawrence were there. So I was like, man, we were representing the state, and Kansas needs to step up. It just made me think, like, man, we need, we need Kansas to get in the, in the game a little bit. But there were people like, like Eric Metaxas, if you know who that is, he's a, an author. He's written incredible biographies about some of the most influential people of God in history. He wrote a, a biography about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who stood up to the Nazis um, in, in, in that era in Germany. He wrote a book about William Wilberforce, who led the charge to eradicate slavery in the UK without a war, um, but spent a lifetime doing that. He wrote a biography about Martin Luther. Um, just, I, I like his books. He's got a book called Miracles. That's just this great, fun, easy read about miracles that, like, documented miracles that God has done today. Like, in, that he interviewed people and just seeing what God's doing. But anyway, he spoke, a guy, Rob McCoy, who's a pastor in California, who really, um, when there were, the lockdown was happening in, in California, you could be a gym, you could be a vape shop, you could sell marijuana shops, were all open, but churches were locked down. They said, you know what, we're not going to shut down our church. And they incurred millions of dollars of fines, actually, that were imposed upon them. Um, eventually, it was, a, it was turned over by the courts. But really, uh, really led many Christians to, to just see things differently. And, and his, he, was, he really kind of moderated the conference and did a great job. Um, so my point is just that I'm kind of full, you know, fired up right now. Yeah. It's just like a few days of people. We were just hearing testimony after testimony of what God is doing. And I've never been more convinced that we live in a time of great impact. Like there, is a, there are battles being waged over our nation and people's lives and the nations of the world. But God is on the move. Yeah. And he is raising people up. And it is a good time to be alive. Um, but it's, all, it's very easy to be not in the game. And so today I'm, I'm hoping that, I'm trusting that God is, that through this story we're going to look at from, from 1 Samuel 13 and 14, that God is going to help us to be in the game, to be encouraged in the game, to get in the game like never before. This is a story, um, it's about a guy who I sh shares my name, so I feel a little awkward about that, but it's Jonathan and his armor bearer, um, so I just got to get that out there before I say any more, so no more awkwardness. But Jonathan was the son of King Saul, who Saul was a very gifted, naturally talented person who God had chosen to be the first king of Israel, but he was full of insecurities and uh, partial disobedience to God. And he ended up having the, losing the kingdom because of this. And so Jonathan's in this environment. He's, he's not a perfect guy, but 
he's, he has a heart for God. And um, this story actually is meaningful to me because when we first, years ago, when I and my family and a couple others, we were living in Lawrence and part of Morningstar Church there and seeing God do great things, but we were starting to have this sense of maybe God would be leading us to go to Manhattan and start something there. And we weren't sure, that, like things were kind of, seemed like that leading that way. But I read this story, and it just, God spoke to me through the story that, hey, if you step out, I'll do something. If you take a step of faith, then I'll do something. And so, man, it's been amazing to see, like, lives have been changed. You know, not, not because of me, but because just a few people stepping out in obedience and trusting God, God comes through. And that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about creating an opportunity. That today we're talking about not waiting for opportunities, but creating opportunities in our lives and the world around us. So, let's just pray for a second here. God, would you open your word to us? Would you op- uh, help us? Lord, we want to have, I know that's the heart of our hearts, is to be open to you and your word and its transforming power. So God, would you bring that transforming power into us today? Help us to hear what you want us to hear. I pray that, that we would get out of places where we're stuck, Lord, as a result of your word coming to us and prompting us and empowering us. Lord, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to pick up the story. It's in 1 Samuel 13, into the chapter, verse 19. It's describing the army of Israel was gathered, and they were surrounded by their enemy army, the Philistines, the famous enemy of, of Israel. It says, Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. No blacksmith. This is a big deal. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. So we see the Philistines had the upper hand in this conflict, and they exerted their, their power by saying, hey, we're not going to let you have any blacksmiths, no one who can make iron products, because then they could have weapons. So they just eradicated all the, the shops where, where, where weapons would be made. Um, so and I think this is... If we can just take this, you know, and bring a spiritual, things in the Bible, things in the Old Testament, there's always a, a spiritual application for us in our lives today. And the sword, we talked about this several weeks ago, the sword represents what for us? The word, the word of God, yeah. In the armor of God that we've been given, the sword is the only offensive weapon that we have. And the sword is the word of God. And so I think this really is a picture of the, even the church in America today, it's like there's very, like the amount of people having a sword, having the word of God in their mind and in their heart is at a tragic low. There is, there's, there's just not, oftentimes there are, hey, I'm a Christian, but when actually when there are surveys on like biblical literacy, people who say they have, a, a, people who say they have a Christian worldview when they are surveyed on that, 4% of those actually have a biblical worldview. And that's the people who think they have a biblical worldview. So we, there's, it's, it fits the situation. And the blacksmith shops, that's like the churches, right? Because that's where they're supposed to be sharpening people's swords and helping them. And there is a concerted effort by our enemy to, to silence and infiltrate 
and shut down the church from helping people to be, to be armored up and having God's word in their own life and then bringing it to the world around them. We saw that definitely in COVID. Like there was just even for whatever reason, but the enemy wanted to shut down churches. And there's been a major hit on churches and church attendance and churches that have gone under in the last couple of years. So it, it fits the situation. So verse 20, but every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshare and for the mattocks, and the third of a shekel for sharpening the axes and for setting the goads. And so the people, they had, they, they wouldn't, the Philistines wouldn't let them have swords or spears, but they would at least let them, like, grow, take their plows and farm implements to get sharpened. And I feel like that's a picture, I think that's a picture of how the things that people need to live today, like, we're so oftentimes going to the world. To, to get the things that shape our, our worldview, the things that shape our way of thinking. We're going to the internet, we're going to social media, we're going to other books. I'm kind of amazed at how many, I like, in the busyness of my life, I am amazed when, I, when people tell me, yeah, I listened to podcasts. I listened to this three hour podcast yesterday. I'm like, wow, that's cool, I, wow. And then people in their hours and hours and hours are being spent listening to ideas but so often those ideas are not from the Word of God. They're ideas about finances and child raising and self-esteem and everything under the sun that we're getting from people that are taking their beliefs not from the Word of God. And so we're, people are going to the culture to get what we need. But there's a, there's a downside to that and there's a cost, just like there was in this, in this story. Um, now even places that seem so like wholesome in our culture, like it's, it's deceptive because there are just many sources that seem like, oh, that's a pretty good source. But if you actually like have a biblical worldview and look at it, you realize, no, it's been infiltrated by the enemy and it is pushing something that is not from God. If you follow the, the news from Target this last week, right? Like Target, like what's a more wholesome seeming thing than that? You know, like you go in there at suburban moms and everybody getting stuff for their families. But here, Target, like, their true colors came out and, like, where they've been sending their money for years. And they've got trans-encouraging apparel in the front of their stores and huge displays. And not just that, but, like, satanic, actually, like, jingles on their, on their, on their clothing in the front of the stores. They're regretting that now or second-guessing because they've lost billions of dollars in value because of all the people who said, I'm not going to shop at Target, which... I'm in that camp as well. Um, I would encourage you to be in that camp too. But it's like, you gotta like look at like, man, what is, where there's, we're surrounded by a culture that the things that even look good are actually not in allegiance to, to King Jesus. You guys with me? Yeah. You see that? Yeah. Start like thinking like, what are, man, what are the influences? Who am I listening to? Who are the people? What are the voices? Man, okay, where, where is this happening? So it says on verse 22, So on the day of the battle there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. So there were two people who had a sword or a spear. It was the king and his son. And you know, that wasn't even so much because of their like, devotion, but it was just the choice of God. Like God had chosen Saul. And so if anyone was going to have a sword, it was going to be the king and his son. But to, to, to whom much is given, much is required. And Jonathan, he had a sense of this. So we keep reading the next verse. We go into chapter 14. It says, One day, 
Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Yeah, I love this. Later on in the story, it tells us that the Israelites were like living in holes in the ground and caves and just hiding out the army. And they were surrounded by the Philistines. And you get the sense that Jonathan finally came to a place where he's like, enough is enough. Like, I'm tired of cave life. I'm tired of living in a hole. Like, I, I got to do something. I got to do something. I don't know what's going to happen, but let's do something. And if you look at your life, what, what brings change in our life, it's getting to this place of being fed up with the status quo. You know, I got, yesterday I was, last night I helped clean a, uh, our neighbor's dog. We were dog sitting in our house right now. And I'm in our kid's bathtub. And I'm like, oh yeah, I've been thinking for months. We've got to we've got to dig out this nasty cock that's all like stained and mildewy looking and just gross. We've got to like replace that. And I've been thinking this, you know, back in my mind, like knowing that for, for months. But last night I was like, okay, I think I'm finally to that place of like, ah, we can't live like this anymore. Like this is just, we've got to do something. This week or soon, that's got to go. And whatever it is in our life, like we, what brings us to, to stepping out is when we're fed up with the way things are. If we're okay with the way things are, then we never change. And, and, and Jonathan is like, man, let's do something. Let's do something. And I want to ask you this morning, is there a hole that you're living in? Is there a hole that you're living in? A hole is a place where you're stuck. A place where you think, like, I'm here because I have no other options. If I got out of this hole, something bad is going to happen. So a hole, it could be, you know, it's, it's oftentimes emotional and mental holes. It's holes of, oh man, I, I'm, I'm afraid to do that. For much of my life, my hole was just fear of speaking. I was so just bound up with fear of opening my mouth. And I just, I was, I was just, didn't know what I was afraid of happening, but I just like, I, maybe I would be known or exposed or something. I was just living in this hole of, of being vocal. Um, our whole, yeah, many times that's a hole if we're Christians, of sharing our faith with people around us. That may be a hole. It may be, um, our job may be a hole. Like, this is the only thing I can do. I got to do this. I, oftentimes, you know, a good indication is if, if someone asks you something, like to do something, and you say, I can't. That's oftentimes an indication that you are stuck in a hole. That you think you can't do something, it's, it's not really about the circumstances as much as it is about our beliefs. It's about what do we believe about God? What do, do, we, what do we believe about his provision? What do we believe about what he'll do? I, I know, um, you know, a lot of times I've been discouraged. Like, man, I can't do that because I don't have enough money. Or I can't do that because someone in my family is sick. Or, man... Our, our church can't really make a difference because people in Manhattan, they just move too much. We got all these transient students and military people and, man, just people move too much. So, man, how are we supposed to make it? Or, yeah, they don't like spirit-filled churches in Manhattan. Or, you know, like all the, like, so many beliefs that we can, we can have. But it's really less about the situation and more about our beliefs. You know, we can also have holes of, of overcommitment. Of like, well, I can't because... I'm overcommitted to these things. Or, 
you know, holes of undercommitment. Like, but I can't because I'm just I'm afraid of saying yes to anything. Um, but whatever it is, it's, we can have holes of like having too much on our plate. And so it keeps us boxed in this place. Um, more often than not, it's the hole of analysis paralysis, where we're just like, we don't step out because we're stuck in our head and thinking about all of the, what's going to happen and thinking about it so much. And there comes a time where you just got to be like Jonathan and go, hey, let's do something. <laughs> let's do something. I can't live like this any longer. Living like this is keeping me from the life God called me to. Living like this is keeping God's kingdom from advancing in my life and the world around me. Let's do something. And I don't know how, like, if we look at the culture around us, we should all be in that place of going, man, let's do something. Like, let's, I gotta, I gotta do something. I gotta get beyond where I'm at right now. So he, he told his armor bearer that. But he did not tell his father. It's certain people, it's better not to tell. Certain people, it's better not to consult because they will hold you back. It is not hard to find people in your life who will tell you why not to get out of your hole. It's not hard to find people who will, who will encourage you and reinforce where you're at right now. you got to know who are the people that you're listening to and who are the people that you just like talk to the hand. All right? Like that, I'm, not, I'm not going there. Didn't tell his father. Verse, uh, skip ahead. So it describes like they're, they're in this place. There are like these craggy rocks all around them where the Philistines are surrounding them. Verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let's go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Oh, I kind of love this. And we're, we tend to look for reasons to get out of a battle. Jonathan was looking for reasons to get in a fight. He was looking for reasons to engage with his enemy and the people of God's enemy. He, this is what he was, you know, it's like, hey, let's just, let's just do it. It may be that the Lord will work for us. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to win or not, honestly. I, this, this is a, like the odds are not good. But I know we're not supposed to just live in this hole. And it may be if we get out. I, I know enough about God. I think he likes that kind of thing. I think that he likes it when I step out of my status quo and come into something new. And, and maybe, maybe God will come through. You know what? I know it's the right thing. Eric Metaxas told it. You know, one thing he said, he's like, you know, I, back when, when George Washington was early on in the Revolutionary War and they had lost a couple battles, and if you had asked him, are you going to win this war? I don't think he would have said, yeah, I know we're going to win. I think he would have said, we have to fight this war. And if God is with us, maybe we will win. And I think that's, that's the attitude. It's like, man, I, we have to fight. We have to engage. And you know, just maybe God's going to come through. Um, I, you know, I, I think about this. like So many of the things where I've seen God move in my life, it's been, it's been like that. Like I mentioned, like when we first came here, it was... I thought God was leading us here, but there were a lot of reasons not to do it. And we had three kids, four and under. We had not very much money. I was 27. It was like, there was, 
a lot of reasons not to do it, but it was just like, God, oh, it might be. Maybe you'll do something if we move there. And sure enough, God did. Um, I, I think just this year, like my, my son Ian, was, he's in ninth grade, and he's going to Manhattan High, and he starts telling me, Dad, just like, I don't know what it is. I've had three kids go to Manhattan High, and it was pretty like challenging classes. They worked hard. But that was not Ian's experience, and he was in the tough classes. And it's like something like, since COVID, like they're just like, Dad, I'm in class, and the teacher taught for eight minutes, and then people were on their phones for the rest of the class period. And that was like a daily occurrence. And so we're like, you know, I don't think this is the education that God wants my son to have. I, I don't think he's supposed to be spending seven hours a day just wasting time here. I think there are a lot of great options. But, heck, I'm a, I'm a single dad, and there's not a lot of extra money in the budget. And what are we supposed to do? But we're like, yeah, we got to do something. And so we talked to friends, and we prayed, and we figured out, all right, we're going to start taking some classes, and we're going to help teach him and get some consulting from some people we know. And we stepped out, and we tried, and it was kind of crazy. And we didn't do everything we thought we would do, but it's sure, it's sure, we're sure glad we did. And Ian had a much better semester, yeah. way better. It was actually very impactful. He got to read for hours and hours and hours. And older sister Anna got to grill him on his composition. <laughs> and he read through a creation-based biology book in a year and did lots of good work. And it was like, man, that, and I mean, once a year book in a semester, good things happen. It was like, I don't even know how. But it just you step out, and God brings these things together. Could go on and on um, about things like that, but it's it's creating an opportunity. I think there's this bad theology that has just plagued Christianity, plagued people who call themselves Christians. And every time I hear, it, I just kind of cringe. And it's called open door theology. It's the idea of, well, if I'm supposed to do that, then God will open the door. And if it's supposed to happen, then God will like bring everything into place and there will be this open door and I'll just and there'll be a gust of wind behind me that will just like move me forward into this office in this opportunity and it will be wonderful. And you know, occasionally God does that, but that is not the pattern of how we follow Jesus. The pattern of following Jesus is running into the battle and running into the, the commission he's given us to make disciples of the nations. And the open door is the opportunity of the world around us. I love you may have heard in, in world, world War II, there was a, 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 a fighter in the Navy named Chesty, what was his last name? What is it? Pullum, Pullum yes. Chesty Pullum. Puller, actually, I think. At least that's what I got. Pull something. Yes, Jesse Puller, the most decorated Marine in history. He's got five Navy crosses. It should have probably had more. He was in situation after situation where he just courageously led people to victory. And in, he had situations like this a couple times, but he's famous for saying one time when they were just surrounded by the enemy. They're surrounded by the enemy on Guadalcanal. He said, they're in front of us, behind us, and we're flanked on both sides by an enemy that outnumbers us 29 to 1. They can't get away from us now. <laughs> That's the attitude we're talking about. 
God wants to put in us. Like, hey, I'm so it's really bad all around you, good. Just start swinging that sword, baby. Just start going to town. Like, man, you don't worry about who you're going to hit. You're going to hit somebody. It's going to be good. All right, just get after it. So that's, that's a good attitude. So that's what Jonathan says. And he, he says, let's go. Come on, let's go. It may be the, the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer, verse 7, said to him, do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Man, how great is that? To have a duty in your life like this. It's like, oh yeah, you want to like run into something impossible where you're probably going to die? Let me come with you. All right, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to go, hey, I am with you, heart and soul. I'm in this completely with you. Man, do you have somebody in your life like that? That is, man, we all want, wouldn't want someone in our life like that, right? It's, it was incredible to have an armor, armor bearer. And so the question always becomes, it's like friends. If you want to have an armor bearer in your life like that, be an armor bearer to somebody. Do you have an armor bearer? Are you an armor bearer? Is there anybody that you're like, man, I am with you heart and soul. Whatever you do, I'm with you, and let's do it together. And come what may, I'm, I'm going to be that. I, you know, just... Early on, by the grace of God, I, not bragging, but I, I got this realization. And the guy who was discipling me, I just realized, like, this person is in my life by the grace of God. And I just, whatever opportunity he invites me, if he, want, if he invites me to come paint his house, I'll, I'll come paint his house. If he says, hey, I'm going to go on a run today, you want to go on a run? I'm going to go on a run. If he's like, hey, let's go out on campus and preach the gospel, I'll swallow hard and I'll go out on campus and preach the gospel. It's like, whatever it is, I know that this is, God's put this person in my life. And if I can just, like, come with him, then I am, then it's going to be, God's going to do powerful stuff. And I'm going to be the better for it, and the kingdom of God's going to advance. And I did that, and I've done that, and I still try to live that way. And, man, that's some of the best stuff that's come in my life through that. So think about, man, do you have someone in your life that you're, you're with them, heart and soul, for the purposes of God? So then uh, Jonathan goes on, verse 8. Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. We'll show ourselves to them. I imagine, you know, I don't know if it was like this, but I imagine, for those of you who've seen Braveheart, I imagine it was not just like, hey guys, we're here, but it was more like they mooned him or something. Like, <laughs> climbing out of the rocks and like, hey, here we are. You know, it was like taunting them, goading them on to, to engage. We'll show ourselves to them. If they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we'll stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So that's cool. Jonathan's like, hey, if they, if they call us over to come fight with them, then we'll know God's given us the victory. So he had some faith on him. But what's really interesting to me is, like, even the other option was he was going to do the same thing no matter what. It's like, we're going to come up, and if they call us over there, we'll go over there and start fighting. But if they say, hey, you lowly dirtbags, hold up, stay, stay there. We're going to come beat the tar out of you. Then we'll wait for them, and we'll fight them here. It was just a matter of, it wasn't a matter of if they were going to engage, if, if they were going to do something. They were creating an opportunity. It was just a matter of where. Yeah. 
And it was funny. It was like, oh, God, what's the sign? It's like, well, we're going to fight somewhere. We're, we're, we're going for it. It's, I, someone once said to me, it's easier to, to steer a car that's moving than a parked car. And so often, like, we're stuck in analysis paralysis, and we don't know what to do. But it's like, just get moving. Just say, I'm going to create an opportunity. I'm going to create something. I'm going to make something happen. And it's amazing how things happen from that. So it goes on. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. After that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, and that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length in an acre of land. All right, so that, this would be like a good fight scene in a movie, right? Two against however many, and those two dudes, like they take out 20 people right there in the first bit of fighting. That would, that would make some good, someone should make a movie of this. And then there was panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people of the Philistines. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. Wow, I love that. You know, so often we're, like, we're intimidated and we're stuck in our hole. We're stuck and like, man, I'm afraid to have that conversation. I'm afraid to engage in that conflict. I'm afraid to work that out. I'm afraid to talk about God to this person. But it's actually the enemy that is afraid of us doing that very thing. And when we step out into those places, then there's a quaking that starts in the forces of darkness. There's a quaking that starts because if Christ is in us, then greater is he who's in us than he is in the world. And the enemy knows that. And it's just, it's lies and intimidation and deception, but when we get out, it produces a quaking on the other side. So they start, they start panicking. And so, skip ahead to verse 19. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. So here, it was, everybody was hiding out in holes. Two people step out, and it leads to the rest of the army stepping out too. So often that's the case. So it just takes one person to step out, and other people will follow. Other people are looking for someone to lead. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against this fellow, and there was very great confusion. Did I read that already? Um, all right. Now the few, so, yeah. Others rally when you do. So now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and who had gone up with them into the camp. So that's saying those who had, who had been traitors, those who had gone over to the Philistine side, there were a lot of them. Even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and, the, and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that, that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in the battle. So there are all these people that were afraid, that had deserted, that were not even in the army, that were just holding back. I mean, what a picture of our culture, right? 
Like all the people who, the 90% of people are, who say, hey, I believe in God, I believe there's a God, but they're not really engaged, most of them. But when, when people start stepping out, there's a response that moves like a wave through people, and other people find their confidence and find their allegiance to Jesus too. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. Man, so cool. So cool, a great victory. So, what are we going to do about it? Nice story. Good story about Saul and Jonathan, but man, how about the story being us, right? That's what, that's what we're talking about this for. Um, I, one of the most impactful things for, for me in Nashville was a, a couple, converse, one conversation in particular with a guy who was actually in just about the most powerful humanistic organization in the world that is intentionally trying to infiltrate the church. And they had brought him in because he was a Christian leader and paid him a lot of money and were trying to get him to go like bring these, these humanistic ideas into churches. And until he got to a place where he couldn't sleep at night, like he was just so bothered and so he, he got out. Um, but he, he talked about how do we engage in the battle? How do we engage? And in Ephesians, we're told that the weapons of our warfare are not, or in Corinthians, we're told the weapons of this warfare are not of this world, but they're mighty in God. We're not talking about literally like going out in the street and grabbing a sword and slashing people. But we're talking about engaging with the lies and the deceptions and the things that, that keep people back. Um, this guy, he said, hey, actually, June is going to be this, it's going to be Trans Pride Month in the U.S. And, you know, it's not like, it's like, why are you Christians so obsessed about LGBT stuff? Like, what is that? And it's not like, hey, we don't like certain people. But it's that the, one of the main strategies of the enemy is to, to make emotion over truth. To make feelings over God's word. Pathos over logos. And the epitome of that is what plays out in this whole, like, hey, whatever feelings you have about your identity, that's your truth. That's your identity. And so no more is that more like the cutting edge in our culture today of, like, the, the push of the enemy into our world than in what's happening in, like, the transgender thing. I know one of the high schools in, in Lawrence right now, there of, like, I think, like, 1,500 students, there are three or four hundred students who identify as transgender right now. That's, that was not the case ten years ago. But there is this, just this assault of this ideology of like, hey, whatever you feel and take on this new identity. And it's, it's a path that leads to destruction. It's a path that leads to, to people making choices that are often irreversible, of mutilating their bodies. And, and leading to much, much higher rates, rates of depression and suicide and not fulfilling the life that God has for people. And so it's, that's, just, that's a picture of the kinds of how the lies of the enemy work to exalt like our feelings and our own natural thinking over God's truth. And it always leads to that. So we were having this conversation, and he said, hey, don't, but, but the enemy, like, he wants there to be like, the enemy would love for there to be a trans Floyd moment in June. Like, if you could provoke a Christian to, like, do something stupid, or someone who calls himself a Christian, 
to like have an act of violence towards a trans person. That would be the thing that is most desired by the forces of darkness. He said, so you gotta be so, re remember, like this is all about love. This is all about loving people. This is all about caring about people. This is about, all about bringing God's truth to people because we care about them. And so his suggestion was, hey, you should go to like every parade you can go to, every march in the park, every event, but go not like loud and angry, but just like people go to abortion clinics and peacefully pray outside those abortion clinics. Like go be a peaceful, prayerful presence in those places. Go like be, be present, be loving, be prayerful. And you will have conversations with people who are hurting. You'll have conversations with people that are, their lives are being ripped apart and they're confused and they're hurting and you'll have conversations and you'll be able to build relationships and, and love on them. You know, that's really what we're doing with Eisenhower School too. You know, Eisenhower, it's, it's about like the highest density of broken people in Manhattan. I mean, it's, it's up there. And it's like, do we agree with how the school's being run? Well, not really. But are there people there that need Jesus? Are there families there that need God? Yes. And we are wanting to be that loving, peaceful, intentional presence to connect with kids, to connect with families, and help bring God's life and grace. That's maybe the person in your life, the person in your family, or your work, or your job. Like There are people that God has called, called us to love on, to, bring, to, to create an opportunity, not through hostility, not through harshness, but through really caring about people and caring enough to get out of our comfort zone and speak the truth and talk with them. So, man, what does that look like for you? What's your hole? I don't know what your hole is. I'm thinking about what the holes are in my life, what the things are that hold me back. But whatever it is, uh, man, God wants us to get a sword, first of all. Get a sword of the Spirit. Get the Word of God. And that's really our summer step up is a chance for us to, to go deeper in, in God's Word and train ourselves and let it transform us and learn how to use his sword in our own life and then in the lives of others. Uh, maybe you got a sword, but you need to sharpen it. You need to go to get that sharpened. That's, go to the locksmith. Be around other people. Be around the church. Be in one of those Bible studies. Be around people that are going to help you sharpen your sword. Um, maybe you need to be an armor bearer. Maybe this morning God's like, hey, you know, I'm not an armor bearer to anybody. Who, man, who, who how am I living that out? Who could, who, could, who could I let, who could I really, you know, come alongside them in a way? And oftentimes it looks like the discipleship process. Like, who can I ask to really disciple me, to really pour their life into me, to really help, help me grow? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in their life. I'm going to create an opportunity. My, one of my favorite people who I ever had the privilege of helping disciple is a guy named Nergazi Nergaziv. He's from the nation of Kyrgyzstan. And... He started serving God as a grad student. And I talked to him about this model of discipleship. The discipleship is just like you get in somebody's life and you, just like Jesus had disciples and they learn from him as they live life together. So I was like, you can, you know, I'd love to help you in any way I can. And it's not just like come to a Bible study once a week, but it's like, you know, you're welcome to come to my house. You're welcome to join me in whatever I'm doing. And I kind of regretted that saying that because Nergazi just started like calling me, texting me every day. Like, hey, what you doing? Where are we going today? What are you doing? And he just like show up in my life. And I'm, I'm half, I, I loved it, but it was not convenient. It was like, okay, yeah, well, this is what we're doing. We're, we're going to 
the Walmart right now. Come along, let's talk. And we're, whatever it was. And he just like, he grew so much. And to this day, like we tease it back in Kyrgyzstan. And whenever I call him, he's like, brother, <laughs> what are we doing today? Like he's like advancing the kingdom of God in Kyrgyzstan. And there's this bond there that came because he had that attitude of an armor bearer and seeing it happen. So man, be an armor bearer to, to, to somebody. Find an armor bearer um, and then create an opportunity. Create an opportunity. Some of you are like, man, there's this thing I've been afraid to do it. There's this thing that seems overwhelming. There's this thing that seems like I don't have time. I don't think I have energy. But stop thinking so much. Create an opportunity and see what God does. All right. And it's, I love, you know, I love how some of my favorite stories are where I'm, I'm hearing this happening recently. Like I know like Brady Keys back in Wichita this summer and he's like started a Kingdom Living group with another guy who just was at K-State and is back in Wichita. I loved how like Faxon and Brady and Romaine like started a Bible study uh, uh, towards the end of the semester and had other guys coming. It was just like, man, we're going to do something. And it was like, wow, that kind of like worked. Like there were people coming. Like, wow, just step out. Maybe God does something. Maybe God comes through. And so create an opportunity. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. This is something in us, like we were born to live this way. We were born to live that way. Um, let's just, um, I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. If this is your prayer, if you want, if you want to step into an opportunity, then just Repeat after me um, as I pray this, all right? If you mean it from your heart, then just, let's just say it out loud, because there's something powerful about that and the power of agreement. So let's, let's, let's pray together. God, I want to live like this. I don't want to live in, this, in a hole. I want to get out of the holes that have been holding me back. I'm tired of those things. I want to run into the battle. I want to create something new. I trust you to show up as I do that. Help me to do that this week. Lead me into something new. Don't let me rest until I come into something new. And please show up as I do that. I trust you in this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, go create some opportunities. It's good stuff. It's happening. Man, I imagine here's an opportunity I want to challenge you to create. As we're, this is our last week before we start our, our new, over the summer we're going to be talking about parables. We're going to be going through parables, parables Jesus told, and which are stories and illustrations that have a hidden meaning. And I think this is going to be a great opportunity to invite somebody new to church. So if you're not sure, like, man, what hole do I get out of here? Here's, here's one for you. Here's one for all of us. If this week, I challenge you to find somebody who doesn't have a church, someone who's not following God right now, and just invite him to church and or invite him to a Bible study. I'm to be part of one of our new KL1 groups that's starting. And 
man, it would be awesome to see who God brings as we, as we keep stepping out and think about reaching out to other people. So let's have a powerful one. Brendan, you got anything else? All right, you're holding that mic like you're ready to go, man. You're ready to create an opportunity. I love it. Awesome. Good. Good, good. Well, may God go with us and empower us. If you want to talk to someone about, man, this is a thing in my life. I just I want to tell someone what I, where I feel God challenging me to trust him and step out. Tell somebody. Have them pray with you specifically. And I'm excited to see what God does. Let's get after it.